This is Binod Shankar and you're listening to the Real Finance Mentor podcast from the realfinancementor.com. The Real Finance Mentor is your go-to resource for insight and inspiration on careers in finance, CFA and more. I would think why this podcast? Well, my goal is to deliver insight and inspiration for your finance career by making it one relatable. This is not theoretical stuff. We zero in on the critical practical issues. Number 2, authentic. No bullshit, no sidestepping. The topics, guests and questions are all from that perspective. And number 3, take a chartered accountant CFA charter holder, add 17 plus years as a corporate warrior, mix in 10 years of entrepreneurship, through a decade of full-time CFA training, add speaking, mentoring, cycling and mountaineering, and that's me. Welcome to the real finance mentor, or as I call it, RFM. Hi everyone, this is Binod Shankar here, the real finance mentor. with uh, another edition of the podcast meant to deliver insight inspiration for your finance careers so i have of course searched high and low for the best speaker or the best guest for my podcast and the whole idea is to showcase the story of someone who's learned a lot and who's most likely undergone a transformation story right and so that you can learn uh, from that person's experiences and insights etc etc So today's guest is not an exception because she stands out. Now I met her what almost like uh, 7 years ago in my CFA level 1 class and uh, then she disappeared from the radar for some years and then I sort of connect reconnected with her a year or so ago and I was impressed by how much of a difference she had made not only in her career but as i kept talking to her also to herself in her attitude and approach to life uh, she is now of course quite successful in where she is and uh, i would like to introduce grishma adani um grishma adani works at adnock distribution uh, in abu dhabi in the in the uh, investment section um she's been through investment banking uh, and a few other um, uh, roles before coming to this role and she's going to share with us um, quite a few stories and what i'm really excited about what i'm really keen that everyone want want should hear is the story of her self awareness learning and ultimately the transformation that's brought her here so grishma um, welcome to the show thanks for having me great to be here great now i'm going to go jump into something that i'm very keen about which is employability and work readiness right now mm-hmm. there's always this big attitude and aptitude gap between what you learn in school college and what an employer requires now from the messages we have exchanged and the calls we had uh, over the past many months it seems you've learned a lot since starting work um, what are the top 3 things you found out only after entering the workplace well you know vinod um the first one was definitely my ability to relate to people um i personally think that my two biggest drawbacks from high school to university were lack of exposure and the kind of social circle i was a part of um and these drawbacks exposed how weak my people skills were at brick uh you know at brick my previous organization before adnoc uh, i understood people skills were a combination of communication skills intelligence and having a growth mindset with of course a touch of your personality um and so beyond gpa or passing courses personally i felt like another way to become smarter and gain knowledge 
was by having conversations with specialists in the field I was interested in, right? And so the way I would do this is um, I would connect with them on LinkedIn or, you know, I would participate in CFA events and various meetup groups. And from what I can remember right on top of my head, uh, one of the events that actually impacted my career choice was the CFA MENA investment conference that actually happened in ADGM last last year. Um, and I had conversations with specialists all the way from investment banking to private equity to asset management roles. And as a result, understood more about their day-to-day tasks and long-term challenges faced by their roles. For example, uh, this is what I was told, right? Um, If I wanted to pursue an equity analyst role in future, I would have to do masters in quantitative finance as this role is heavily impacted by artificial intelligence and it's not very front-end focused. Um, Instead, based on my skill set, strength and interest, you know, I would be better off if I focused more on corporate strategy or real estate or infrastructure related roles, right? Um, And so these guys just gave me an excellent summary of their roles. You know, they spoke about risks, they spoke about long-term benefits and qualifications, all the way up to exit opportunities from different core finance focused roles. And because of these conversations, Vinod, I was able to get clarity uh, that actually led to me choosing my current role at Adnoc Distribution. Um, and another thing I would like to add here is one of the main reasons, uh, you know, for getting responses in, in, in CFA conferences or on LinkedIn was because of my learnings around communication skills, right? Um, and so essentially one thing I realized after joining Brick Investment is that it's all about finding common ground. It's all about finding common ground, having the right tone, showing genuine curiosity, um, correctly following up with people who have invested their time into you, and then finally, finally nurturing that relationship, right? Um, and so I won't dive deep here into each and every technique, but a simple example would be this, right? Um, I would always have first, you know, different pitches, different conversation structure each time I approached people on LinkedIn. Let's say if I was connecting with a chief investment officer, okay, of an asset management firm, and I found out from his job role or his activity page that he's most interested in equities or real estate asset classes, and he's very passionate about CFA program, boom. I know if my first intro convo went well with him, um, in second or third conversation, I could speak about our shared interests all the way from, you know, real estate or CFA, whatever it is. But if I were connecting with a mid-level associate, my entire angle of approaching him would be different. You know, I would probably talk a lot, you know, a lot more about my, um, lot more about our shared interests on the first call itself, as opposed to my first call with the CIO. I mean, you know, what I'm trying to say here is that you got to approach people differently based on their responses. Uh, you cannot have the same structure or the same pitch for everyone, right? And, and, and so when I was learning to master all of this at brick, whether it's around soft skills or understanding uh, the Brazilian and the US real estate markets, I could see my performance improving gradually. Um, because, and, and, and then what I realized is that, you know, the work that I, I, I did at Brick was, was not just a nine to six gig for me anymore. Uh, I wanted to step up. I wanted to get involved. Uh, I wanted to get involved across departments and, and it became more personal, you know, it became more personal beyond achieving financial targets. Um, and so as I pitched and as I executed my ideas, 
Um, and I, as I engaged with different teams, I realized, man, I, I just love taking ownership of work. I love delivering results, you know. I realized how much I like learning about markets, how much I like engaging with team members and having deep conversations around uh, the problems our project is currently facing. And uh, my ex-boss, Stuart, um, he would see that obsession in me, you know. He would see my proactiveness. And then so what he did is slowly he would hand over his responsibilities to me because he he trusted me. He knew I could deliver. And, and I, I built a really good rapport with him, right? Um, and so I was lucky enough to handle all brick Middle East portfolios. And I was also given an opportunity to train and to mentor and to manage new joiners of Dubai, which in my opinion was the most incredible experience. So, so basically, I mean, the three things would be your ability to relate to people, right? To connect with them, um, communication skills and taking ownership of work. Absolutely. Right. So your first job was a boutique investment bank. And now that was your first taste of investment banking, management, leadership, et cetera, et cetera, right? And from what you told me, you hated it. And you left within a few months, right? So this is a very interesting phase or was a very interesting phase of your career and learning. And I've got three questions for you and we can answer them one by one, right? First question was, what made you decide you wanted to get into investment banking? Because that's not exactly something that everyone aspires to. What exactly happened after you joined? And very importantly, how did the experience impact you in terms of how you saw yourself and future employees, et cetera, et cetera? Right. Um, so finance seemed like the right choice back when I was in high school. Um, but one of the major challenges I faced was that I felt like I lacked clarity. And that was partly because we had limited choices. And I think uh, people that did their high school in Dubai could relate to this point, you know. Um, Back then, um, schools provided limited exposure in terms of areas of study and what we can learn. And all you have got is to make a choice. You have to choose between two streams, either it's commerce or science. If you chose commerce, majority of your subjects were accounting and finance and marketing, out of which finance was definitely something that interested me. But it was not something that I was necessarily driven by. And that was because of A, lack of options at school, and B, lack of guidance and exposure. So let me take a step back here, right, to give you a bit of a background. Since university, I was aware of the fact that I would be doing CFA and then hopefully break into investment banking. What I did not realize is how much impact would office culture and, and team I would work with have on my personal growth and personal career choices, right? Um, and trust me, Binod, I... I really, really disregarded this factor. Um, now, one of the reasons why I believed investment banking would be a great start was because, you know, I thought, fine, for entry-level analyst roles, investment banking as a field would set a foundation uh, in, in terms of modeling or presentation skills. And it would really prepare me for any type of roles in future, like in case if I decided to switch investment banking, you know. Um, so I thought, fine, I can I can start by strengthening my modeling and presentation skills. And, um, and, and, and this is and that's what I did, right? I, I finished my CFA level one, I did some basic modeling courses. And finally, I get a call from an investment banking boutique. So what exactly happened? 
Um, now, because I waited for this opportunity for so bloody long, um, after clearing all the rounds, you know, the thought of having a job in investment banking um, in DIFC um, with a good paycheck made me take up the offer in a heartbeat, right? Without really bothering to understand the office dynamics, the team structure, the culture, etc. So in my first week, I noticed that there was a massive gap in hierarchy within my department. I was directly reporting to my senior manager. There were no associates in the team and there was no one I could closely work with and learn from. Um, and when I actually took the initiative and reached out to other department managers to seek guidance, you won't, you won't believe this. Like they would have conversations behind my back. And, 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 and what that made me realize is the amount of gossiping and groupism there was in the firm, right? I was so confused, Vinod, uh, with the kind of culture they were setting for, you know, new joiners and what they were doing. I was, I was just really confused. And this is what happened, right? I, I mean, I wasn't receiving any daily guidance. Uh, I had limited interactions with my manager. Um, no one seemed approachable. And it was simply not a healthy learning environment. In fact, I remember, um, if I would ask questions, you know, there were judgmental comments passed, right? Uh, whatever work we would try and prepare by ourselves, um, instead of giving us constructive criticism, he would, he would always question me, my senior manager, like, you know, why was I doing CFA? And if I've really passed level one, and, and, and there is no way I would be able to pass level two with the quality of work I was delivering. Uh, in fact, once he even looked at my deliverables and and went like, are you drunk? And, and, and at one point I overheard him telling others how I was just a temporary option till they found someone else. I mean, I was so confused because while they were interviewing me, I was brutally honest. And I told them that I have no m experience, but I was very, very eager to learn, right? Um, and Vinod should hit the fan when over coffee, he said that like I should get married and leave for India and work there. Uh, you know, he knew my dad was diagnosed with last stage cancer. So he thought the only way I could take care of financial responsibilities was if I married someone and then I moved to India. I mean, <laughs> that day I didn't even think for a minute and decided to like, that's it. I, I just decided to submit my resignation letter that afternoon. Uh, and what I realized is I realized sticking to a job for the sake of brand, high salaries, is so, so, so not worth it if the culture and the team's mindset is so negative. Um, everything after that experience for me was about prioritizing culture and people in any job I would look for. That's quite a scarring experience for anyone at, at any stage of their career. That must have uh, had a significant impact on you. So my second question would be, how did the experience impact you in terms of how you saw yourself and how you saw future employers? To be, to be honest with you, Binod, I was mentally a mess. Um, I lost confidence in myself. I had deep anxiety issues getting over my depression when my ex-employer messed me up when I'm financially weak and I've just like I've lost a parent it was not easy you know for a month or so I would just watch Netflix 
sleep and eat to escape the reality, right? Um, on one end, just that thought of restarting the whole job process and dealing with, you know, visit visa complications and on parallel having zero contacts, zero prospects for getting another job in less than three months. Just that thought alone was frightening, right? Um, but I knew, I knew I had to step up. I knew like cr crying in my car was not an option. I had to, I had to fight back, right? And so the first thing I did the next day I remember uh, is, is, you know, I made an Excel plan, right? I made an Excel. I calculated my savings and expenses for that year. Uh, that actually allowed me to prepare for best and worst case scenarios. Um, for improving my mental strength, I started listening to Gary Vee's podcasts. I would have lose yourself on repeat. I would have like Eminem songs on repeat while I was jogging, uh, you know, and I used to watch tons of Mark Cuban videos. Um, I would also regularly meet up my close friends to discuss my, you know, my, my decisions and, and, and get some positive energy. Um, and so the entire experience, um, you know, from getting out of that toxic job to losing a parent, it just changed me. It changed me 360 degrees. I was completely a different person as opposed to who you met at Genesis. I realized there were a lot more things that were important to me in terms of choosing my career path. And one was definitely working for the right people. I mean, most time of my day would be spent with the firm I'm working with. So it's important I work with the right team, right? Uh, my priority was working for a team with growth mindset, healthy culture, and having a good connection and chemistry with my direct line manager. All my questions moving forward in the interview, any job interview, was structured around identifying a firm that has all of the above, right? And luckily and thankfully, that was the year I passed my interviews at Brick, met Stuart, and guess what happened? I ended up making double the money as compared to my previous investment banking job, and everything changed when I met Stuart and joined Brick. Wow, that's quite a story. You know, you should probably write an article or a blog or probably a book at some stage, you know, when you have experienced sufficient variety and insights in your career. I think that's a lot. And I want to thank you for being quite open, Grishma, because this is quite a, it's not just a professional story, it's also a personal story as well, right? And, and very few people have the courage or even the self-awareness to come out. So thank you for that. Now, I want to talk about uh, networking and of course, uh, that's quite popular, well, should be quite popular among youngsters. Uh, networking using LinkedIn is critical and you seem to have been quite effective in that uh, from what I have seen and from how you have got successive jobs as well, right? Unfortunately, I keep coming across many youngsters on LinkedIn who are naive about uh, the whole platform and hence don't get the uh, potential benefits. You know, typically they abruptly ask me for a job or ask to be mentored when I don't even know the person well enough. I've never met or spoken to that person, right? So my question to you, can you give three tips to youngsters on how to leverage this very important professional networking platform called LinkedIn? This is good, Bino. This is good. Um, you know, you're right about many people not using LinkedIn correctly. I wouldn't claim that I've mastered it either. I keep tweaking my techniques even today. And so my top three tips would be to firstly, stop spamming LinkedIn. 
let me take a step back here, right? And explain what I mean when I say stop spamming LinkedIn. I think the number one mistake people make is they spam LinkedIn by sending messages to as many people as they can per day and they attach their resume in the first conversation itself, right? People blindly keep applying for as many jobs as possible, messaging, you know, 300 connects per week. I, on the other hand, did the exact opposite. I filtered profiles. I gathered information by studying people's backgrounds, interests, and roles, and companies they have worked for. And I tailored my messages accordingly. In fact, my entire conversation was designed around receiving guidance and not an interview. Uh, you know, I could... Personally, I could see my response rate going up slowly as my messages were more and more personalized and my only intention was asking for help to get more clarity. I would get many yeses for coffee chats versus advice over a phone call and I noticed that my you know, face-to-face -face interaction made a big difference and had a higher conversion rate. In fact, to give you some statistics, out of 20 leads I approached over six months, right, four converted to an interview. In fact, Two interviews were purely due to one question I asked. How do I apply my technical skills more practically? And I remember uh, two chief investment officers, they gave me an assignment to work on and I went all out, right? Instead of multitasking and networking, you know, instead of multitasking by networking and, and, and doing my assignments simultaneously, what I did was I spent the next one and a half months only focusing on finishing those two assignments, which, by the way, had no guarantee on getting me an interview. Um, and I remember this, right, because this is what the CIO told me. Uh, hey, Grishma, this is what our analysts do on day to day basis. Why don't you write up a research report on an upcoming market and we'll take things from there. That's all I got. Here's the thing, Vinod. I was chasing learning, right? And I thought to myself, if I finish them successfully, I would get another chance to engage and discuss my work with them. And that's exactly what I did. I dropped them a message asking for a chance to present my work and get their feedback when they said, sure, why not drop in? That's when I indirectly thought, right, Krishma, this could be your round one of interview. Um, and so that would be my first point. Um, secondly, prepare your pitch in advance, right? What I used to do is prepare my pitch in advance. Many of us now, you know, we already know this point, right? But we tend to ignore it or sometimes just get lazy and end up preparing the same pitch for everyone. In my opinion, I think, you know, we need to show genuine curiosity and, and don't keep conversations very generic, right? Um, like for example, a lazy write-up would be, I'm reaching out to you because I would like to know more about macro-micro analysis that you're doing. Now, that's quite generic. And that tells me that, you know, you haven't done enough research on my profile, right? And so, in my opinion, the structure of the very first conversation could be around why are they reaching out? Even introduce any type of common ground you share with your connects, right? And lastly, always try and add value to that conversation, right? Um, and so I never used the same structure or the same pitch while writing messages or connecting with people on call. When I reached out to people the very first time, my write-ups were prepared differently for different type of profiles. Um, and so what I'm trying to say is that you need to find a balance. You have to find a balance in terms of involving the points that I just mentioned. And at the same time, the conversation should have depth. It should be concise, especially, especially if you're approaching senior executives, right? Um, assume that 
they have less than a minute to read your message. Uh, and so what I would always do is I would always frame questions around getting clarity than mentorship or a job. And personally, attaching resume in the very first conversation, in my opinion, is just you being pure lazy, right? Um, and thirdly, I would say aftercare. Nurturing relationship you have built over coffee or a phone call. Think about this, right? <clears throat> People have spent good amount of time in advising you. So after getting a job, you know, do not do not forget the power of nurturing. Like I, I, I want to emphasize on this. Do not forget the power of nurturing that relationship because that's how you build a strong network that lasts for a lifetime. I like that last point the most about aftercare because I've experienced that on the others being on the other side of the equation where I would find people messaging me and I would probably have a call with them or a lengthy uh, email trying to solve their problem and then they would disappear completely uh, from social media, from email, from WhatsApp. So it, is, it, says, it sounds or it comes across as very transactional and very opportunistic, which doesn't look good. And in the long term, it's not even sustainable. So I think that's a very important point about aftercare and nurturing relationships you've built initially. Yeah. Now, moving on in your career, post your, um, how shall I say it, for lack of a better word, um, unpleasant uh, experience at the investment banking firm, uh, you joined Brick, right? Now, you mentioned earlier on that your boss at Brick was like a mentor to you, right? Now, mentorship is quite important. Many youngsters need mentors. So it'll be good to have some guidance on how they can get a mentor and retain a mentor. Now, can you expand and mention how you came to be a mentor, what exactly happened as part of the mentoring, and of course, most importantly, the effect of the mentoring? Right. So I'm going to be very nostalgic as I answer this. Um, the experience of my journey at Brick. It, it, it just changed me entirely from who I was when I first joined. Stuart's training had a compelling impact on my performance and who I was becoming. Uh, it was also his personality and mindset towards his team that made me work harder than I imagined and made our chemistry even stronger. Um, you know, and so he didn't just become my mentor from day one. You know, uh, let, let me let me tell you that uh, it, it was a hard road to earn his respect. Right. Um, his constant feedbacks and strategies on how I can get better made me obsessed with succeeding at this job. Um, and what amazed me is how much time he would invest into every team member, right? That excited me, like whether it's one-on-one -on -one sessions or just training, like his dedication, his energy, his obsession to exceed targets were contagious to all of us. And you could tell, you could tell that he's a hardcore executioner, right? Every deal or target that, you know, used to fall on Stuart's plate from the CEO would be delivered and closed. And so while I was learning from the best, the road was not smooth, of course. Uh, you know, I would make mistakes. I had absolutely no experience in handling institutional investors and covering the US and Brazil real estate markets. I was the most inexperienced in the team. And in the beginning, I would struggle to meet targets and connect with my own clients. Even other managers doubted me, you know, they, they doubted if I was like ready to handle LLC portfolios across USA. But here's the thing, Vinod, I'm a fast learner. 
you know, I would proactively propose solutions to Stuart on how can I improve myself. You know, I wasn't scared to communicate. I wanted to openly discuss my weak spots and work on them. Um, and every time anyone doubted me, Stuart would stand up for me. You know, in fact, he had my back from the very first day. Um, he saw how I was journaling his advice, how I was working on strategies proposed by him. He he could tell he could tell that right, you know, she wanted to get better at this job, right? And, and, and so by the end of year one, he, he, he saw my progress. And this is what he said, right? Like he, he told me that, Grishma, you've got serious potential, uh, not to just get promoted, but have your own office in Europe. Uh, if, if, if you continue performing and investing at this rate, self-investing at this rate. Um, and so, Numbers don't lie, right? Like Stuart was a numbers guy. He would track each one of us quarter by quarter. He could conclude that, you know, Grishma is aiming for consistency. I was always aiming for consistency in my performance more than, you know, those one-offs. Um, and year two of Brick, uh, Brick Group, uh, I, I completely smashed it, right? Like by the end of the year two, I was the first employee amongst five Brick global offices to win an outstanding performance award from the CEO, we just became an absolutely unbeatable team, right? I ended up being the best performer in Stewart's team for three years consistently. Uh, those results pushed me to accelerate my career at Brick. I started taking charge of my tasks. I started delivering them proactively. I just learned so much about leadership skills, you know, from the from the from the whole experience. Um, and what happened is by end of it all, he, you know, he, he started helping me with, with investing outside of work, uh, investing in stock markets and mapping my long-term goals. And I think in the process, he became an advisor for any decision I would take, right? He started caring about my growth outside of work. Um, slowly, every phone call or one-on-one -on -one meetings were about my future, how I plan to grow myself financially. And it was less about uh, the usual deliverables. Uh, you know, I realized uh, once I left break that every theory that Stuart has taught me is something that I still apply and will always use throughout my career. In fact, there was a transition in our relationship, right? From him being my boss to being my mentor and now us being really good friends uh, who are still in touch regularly after I left break. In fact, earlier today, I had a conversation with him about our podcast and we looked back and realized what has happened, how much I've learned and grown as compared to who I was uh, when I met him at 22 years of age. Uh, and so, you know, I really mean it when I say brick changed me. I mean, it really does take one man to take you off the street and just give you a chance and change everything. Right. Now, let's talk about the second learning that you mentioned about um, the importance of sales. Now, why I bring this up? Because I distinctly recall you as a super, super shy girl uh, who never spoke up in my level one CFA class and would easily be obscure in the big crowd in the class, right? So that's a transformation that I've seen and I'm stunned. So tell me the three most effective things that you did they helped you transform from that shy student for, into a confident, articulate, and successful person who can not only do technical stuff, but also sell. Right. So um, my first job was at 16 um, when I was selling energy drinks in this small called Lamsi Plaza in Dubai. 
And that's the first time I actually learned how to sell and I was good at it. Um, and so do many people, the word sales implies all the used, you know, car salesman stereotype. Um, and so when I got this opportunity at Brick, um, not many finance guys in my circle supported my decision of accepting this role. You know, I was doing CFA. I should be an analyst with the bank. Many wondered why would I take up a sales job, ruin my resume. Uh, but I knew spending time in direct sales role in an investment company will pay dividends forever, right? I would better my communication skills. I would better my selling skills. And all of that would happen at an early point in my career. Besides that, it was an investment role focused on sourcing capital from retail and institutional clients. So I knew it wasn't completely outside of the core finance role and it still contributed to my CFA certification, right? And so my top three would be, in, my top three learnings would be around, firstly, the art of prospecting, right? Uh, prospecting starts from the very first conversation you have with someone on LinkedIn. Either you know if, if you're looking for a job or, or, or if it's with the lead that you're trying to sell. Um, something Brick has taught me was to stop trying to sell to the unsellable, right? Instead, go out and find people who are more willing to say a yes. This principle applies across networking. And even by, you know, if you are trying to find a mentor at work, don't invest your time and energy into everyone and try to turn a no into yes. It just saves so much time and mental energy. So that's definitely my first learning. Second, I would say tonality. Um, another underrated learning, right? Um, I think in terms of the importance of tonality, Let's talk about it. So tonality is an essential ingredient in any form of communication. And Jordan Belfort actually um, has covered this in great detail in his course called um, The Straight Line Persuasion. So at Brick, most of our leads were based outside of the Middle East. So for us, mastering tonality in different situations was the key to connect with people who are literally sitting on the other side of the planet. And so from art of perspective to building trust, using the right tone, these are all core subsets to be a good negotiator, to take control of the closing process. In fact, right now, Binod, it's more crucial than ever, right, um, to study the subject around tonality, importance of having depth in what you say, how you structure your thoughts. Um, um, because given the current COVID situation, all networking conversations are happening over the phone. Um, and so I think what you say in the first 10 seconds and how you sound has a significant impact on the type of response you get from the caller. Thirdly, I would say negotiation skills. So my ability to you know negotiate and closing deals by myself i mean I, I personally felt i became really good at it after my experience at brick i mean this 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 statement was all about understanding your prospects perspective being a good listener being able to handle objections thrown at you by your client right and i wanted to actually share something that i learned from uh, that i learned from stuart around this point um, now, 
One thing that Stuart would always talk about is learning to see from your prospect's point of view. Ask yourself, what do you think he thinks is the worst thing that could happen? What is that one thing that will stop him from making a decision? Ask these questions before you have a meeting. Structure your pitch beforehand. Um, in the words of a very famous author of um, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, what he says is, you seek first to understand, then be understood, right? Being a good listener and being patient with clients taught me the importance of structuring my thoughts um, once I have possessed all of the information. And when you actually develop this habit, what it does is it prevents you from saying things that might add absolutely no value on the call. Um, and as a result, what happens is it builds that credibility, right? Because you care about understanding your client's point of view so that when you say whatever, you, whatever you say next kind of holds more weight and it gets more attention. And I've actually seen this. I've seen this in, uh, you know, uh, I've seen this in Norman, my current boss, who is exceptionally good at communication. Um, when, when, whenever he speaks to several stakeholders, he always applies this method. Now, let's move on again further in your career, right? You left your secure uh, job with a great boss and mentor at Brick. And then what really surprised me was for about six months, all you did was sit at home and learn financial modeling, advanced Excel, valuation, and presentation. Now, that uh, was, quite frankly, a ballsy move, right, for anyone. Uh, I have three questions for you. First one, what triggered you to make the decision? Oh, it was definitely my long-term goal. Being a long-term thinker, I knew beforehand that I would not do this forever. Um, the main reason behind that was I knew what type of skill set, apart, you know, apart from sales, I had to work on. Um, and identifying the areas of development early on allowed me to plan this transition smoothly, right? Um, I was also doing my CFA. I was waiting for an opportunity to apply the curriculum more practically. Um, I also knew to be deserving of that opportunity, I would have to develop my technical skills. And so I learned a lot around communication skills. The pay was fantastic. The culture was great. Uh, and a boss like Stuart was a blessing. But at a certain point, your learning curve slows down and everything becomes a bit more comfortable. So I knew this was the right time to step down and make the best use of my time, um, even though I would take a hit financially and there was a risk, right? Because I had nothing in hand. Um, but I knew my decision would pay off in the long run. And so I sat home and, you know, and I just went all out in upskilling and networking. Right. And why did you want to leave sales specifically? I, I wanted to get into core finance focus role within asset management or corporate strategy. And so I knew I would need to develop analytical skills at some point. So yes, although I was great at sales, I knew it was not enough for where I want to be and what I want to achieve. And, mm -hmm. and, and that's why I made the shift. Now, of course, what I mean, stepping out of a well-paying, secure job uh, and, and waiting for the next job isn't exactly the, something that gives you any certainty. So what were the three factors, if you can recall, that gave you the confidence that you would land something better in, for lack of a better word, a shit job market? I love this question. Um, it, was, it was actually putting my trust and belief in the power of focus instead of multitasking. Um, I always 
planned the best case and the worst case scenarios and all my scenarios were structured to ultimately make my plan a work. So pre-planning was definitely a part of the process. And yet another massive factor, I would say that had a huge influence on my confidence um, in decision-making was my circle of close friends. So the way it all started, right? Uh, there was, of course, a lot of fear. Um, you know, I was leaving a job without something in hand. I was taking a big risk given my financial situation. How could all of this possibly affect my mental health? Um, you know, especially if I ended up failing level two and not having a job, you know, all of that happening at the same time. But but I can I can I can break the suspense here and tell you that the risk I took was just so worth it. Um, so my first point would be believing in power of focus. The number one thing that I've realized is the importance of focus, right? Going all out means knowing your priorities, focusing on one thing by giving 200% to it. I have seen many people try to multitask and try to do everything at once because they just lack that ability to eliminate. I knew if I would try and balance things, I would not be able to overachieve. Um, I went way more in depth into the process. For example, my prep for an interview uh, for a strategy role versus an asset management role would be entirely different. If I connected with someone working for MBB, uh, McKenzie, Bain, BCG on LinkedIn versus a portfolio manager at Fidelity, let's say, the whole interaction and vibe over coffee would be completely different, right? There is never just one way of networking. So, Apart from technical skills, I had to also develop different strategies for networking. And hence, when people reach out to me, I tell them exactly how I prepared for an investment banking role, for an asset management role, and for a corporate strategy role. Um, and I would say, like, like, at an analyst level, all three roles, uh, luckily, you know, they, they share two skill sets in common, right? Which is 70% of your job would be financial modeling and building decks. So I knew if I would be placed in any of the above roles, it would still align with my long-term objective. And that's why I keep telling undergrads, I keep telling them to not just settle for paycheck or get comfortable. Um, at an early age, they have that flexibility to take up more generalist type of roles. And I personally feel like your interest becomes your passion only if you choose to get as much exposure to it before you decide to become a specialist. So believing in power of focus is my number one point. Um, secondly, I would say pre-planning and decision-making skills. I knew each goal needed its own time for me to achieve them. Um, I had to overcome my temptations and stick to my plan and just like believe in that long-term game, right? My planning actually started um, a year ago um, while I was at Brick. I, I, I didn't make an overly ambitious plan. Uh, you know, I made a quite realistic plan mainly because I knew how I function. So everything from savings to what happens if I don't pass level two, all of that was planned out, right? Um, and so it started with me bidding farewell to Brick, uh, staying emotionally strong and putting all my focus just on CFA level two. I cleared that in June. And then from June and to August, I planned only to work on advanced financial modeling skills on the, on the website, breaking into the Wall Street. And then from September to December, I would just focus on networking. All other distractions had to be strictly eliminated. So that's my second point. And lastly, it was, the it was, it was my circle, my circle of close friends. Um, many of my decisions were discussed 
in detail with my close friends. And I have to credit Dramel and Akash here. All three of us would primarily focus on the risk of every decision I made, right? These guys would be able to de-risk even the riskiest outcome of my decision, which in itself instigated a lot more self-confidence in my decision-making skills. So in a nutshell, what I'm trying to say here is that I was not making any income. I was on visit visa. And if I failed CFA level two, or even if one decision of mine failed, there were consequences. But this is why I talked previously about planning, I, I, right? Like planning and decision-making and, and, and surrounding yourself with, with, with right circle of friends. Um, I was able to do that. And the taste of my outcome was spe- sweeter than I expected. So Grishma, you now work as an analyst for Adnoc Distribution, which is a listed retail arm of Adnoc, right? The massive oil company that generates Abu Dhabi's oil wealth. So tell me how you got the job, how did you target the company and who all did you reach out to? I'm just fascinated. Right, so um, I relied on different avenues of networking. I had zero network for core finance roles when I left Brick, and I knew with minimal uh, experience, I couldn't just rely on first degree LinkedIn connections, right? So my top two streams were CFA community and LinkedIn, but I exhausted every stream of networking. My main goal while I networked with any individual was to learn and gather knowledge. And at this point, um, after passing level two, more than getting a job, I was just really hungry to learn the practical side of what we study in level two, what we study in CFA, and, and, and how that was applied to roles I was interested in. So here's how I would sum it up, right? My whole networking experience was as if I, you know, as if I was signing up for multiple electives in an MBA and meeting some brilliant professors. And, 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 and that's exactly how I, I found out about how infrastructure rules work, how, uh, you know, uh, uh, real estate companies work, how, how these roles are investing into growth projects and how they had more long-term benefits for me from career perspective as compared to what I was initially looking for, right? Um, So, and and apart from that, I also knew like, you know, building strong relationships with my network was the key. So what I did was I kept in touch with everyone, um, you know, and I nurtured that relationships. uh, And and, and that's how I got Adnoc distribution. I was was referred through word of mouth and that's how I got the role. Let's talk about the personal side. I mean, you've, you've touched upon that early during this interview, right? Um, but I want to sort of uh, dive deeper because your dad certainly passed away about three years ago, um, leaving you at the very young age of uh, 24 as a sole breadwinner of the family with the responsibility of looking after your mother and sister. Now, how did you react to that responsibility? And very importantly, how did that change you as a person and as a professional? happened all of a sudden, Vinod. And at that same time, I I quit a really toxic job. So with no job and a sudden tragedy, my loneliness just just compounded. Um, My confidence was shattered. Um, At that time, I thought my road to CFA charters was definitely over and there is no way I could study for long hours as I would quickly get distracted. So, you know, there were just too many problems to solve. 
Um, and so for me, like, you know, the easy way out would be I could have just settled for any random job for the sake of residence status in, in Dubai and, and, and some salary. And, you know, I, I could just watch TV shows day and night to escape, travel and chill with friends and just run away from reality. And that actually happened. That happened for a month. But I had to wake up. I had to wake up and realize that these lazy decisions would in fact hurt my resume, deviate my focus from my CFA journey and overall just delay my long-term goals. So I had to step up. I had to step up and not let my emotions and what other people thought I should do take control of my mind. Um, and so instead of panicking and, and running away from pressure, uh, I started yoga and meditation um, to get my focus back. I also knew this time more than ever, uh, you know, I have to surround myself with the right people. So I prioritized my search for a great culture, for a great team. Um, and I knew, I knew, right? Like if I found the right job in terms of team and culture, everything will fall into place. Socially, what I did was I surrounded myself with right friends that did not promote play it safe kind of decision-making. Um, and so Instead of multitasking and trying to solve each and every problem around legal and financial issues, I instead just focused on one single thing. And that was networking to find the right team, right? I knew what my mind needed. Uh, and that's what happened. I met Stuart. I started my journey with Brick. And post-Brick, I, I was just really, really happy with the office environment, the training and the support I got. I mean, the entire journey made me stronger, smarter, and more optimistic, right? So once I was settled into the job, uh, then slowly I started taking care of all my personal outstanding problems. And believe me, Benoit, when I say this, like there was never a moment where I felt negative, distracted, anxious, wrong, nervous, like the self-confidence was just oozing out of me because all my decisions were turning out to be right. Um, and so that positive energy was reflected in my performance. Um, at work, I was able to trust my gut more. I could speak up. I could contribute in front of large teams. Um, I didn't even realize when my nervousness disappeared. Um, and, and I started enjoying, I started enjoying being in charge and delivering results, something that, that we spoke about. Um, I was able to join my classes. I was able to, you know, complete my CFA level two. I was appointed to represent BRIC in international conferences. I was promoted the year after. And just within 12 months, I was able to turn around the financial situation of my family. So that was a big win. But, you know, to conclude, this would definitely not have happened if I pursued lazy decisions and listened to people's advice who told me, Grishma, go with the flow. Don't make any risky moves. Um, if I listened to such people, you know, long term, it would just make things harder for me, right? It would be way more stressful. And, and <laughs> there's absolutely, absolutely no way I would have got ad hoc distribution. Grishma, if a youngster who is still in college or freshly graduated or even in the initial stages of their career wanted to know how to progress uh, and asked you for advice, what would be the top three career tips that you would give? Mm, great question. Um, so 
my first point that I'm going to that I'm going to talk about um, that had an indirect impact on my career, right? So I would start with surrounding yourself with right circle of people. Okay, this is important. Who you spend time with the most has a strong indirect influence on who you become as a person. Don't fall into fake social media trap to get external validation. Don't be scared to cut off and eliminate. Because of massive groupism issue here, Binod, um, <clears throat> people, what they try to do is they try to change themselves to fit in. And, and, and then what happens is they develop insecurities and, and they're just worried about what people think of them. Um, and that leads to several mental blocks. It leads to self-awareness issues. It leads to low, uh, you know, you, you have low self-esteem and, and anxiety issues. Um, the reason I'm emphasizing on this is because I was once upon a time a victim of this. And honestly, Binod, I have seen many intelligent friends of mine lose focus because they were unable to cut off and move on. Um, on the other hand, I, I saw a change in my personality as I surrounded myself with right people who I share common interests with. In fact, I got really lucky, right? Because all of them had way more life skills and career exposure than me. Um, I would I would call them my dynamic circle of advisors. These guys have throughout my career inspired me to take up different possibilities and different risks, you know, all the way from leaving a well-paid investment banking role to joining a pure sales role at Brick Investments and then leaving Brick and then going all out on networking and upskilling. My decision and my and my my decision making and my planning skills over time have actually got better as a result of surrounding myself with right people. So the first one is is, is definitely surround yourself with the right circle of friends. Um, secondly, I would say network early and seek out for education beyond classrooms. So what I mean by this is. I wasted a lot of time in university trying to fit in, made incorrect choices, got really lazy, and as a result, just became a follower. I would opt for courses because everyone was doing it. And boy, did I waste a lot of time and money. Whenever any undergrad tells me I'm doing CFA, ACCA, MBA, because everyone in my circle is doing it and that's what the market wants, I would tell him to stop because he's making a big mistake. Solution, network early reach out to analysts, reach out to managers, you know, reach out to your seniors to understand and learn more about their roles before, before deciding uh, if you want to do an MBA or CFA, whatever it is, right? Many undergrads start networking when the time comes, and then they think that they have developed a passion in investment banking because they liked few finance subjects in university. I personally believe you cannot be passionate about something unless you have had practical exposure to it, right? So my advice would be do early internships, even if it's for free, right? Do, do early internships in as many core finance roles as possible to get that clarity. Um, participate in seminars and conferences and competitions. That's the easiest way to meet professionals and seek guidance. Um, I would also strongly recommend a young finance um, um, undergrads to subscribe to Wall Street Oasis. It's a one-stop shop resource for finance. 
And believe me when I say it, clarity is everything, right? So there are just so many sources out there. Use LinkedIn, Wall Street Oasis, mergers and inquisitions, CFA community. Use all these sources to figure out the step one for breaking into any, any finance role. And then lastly, and most importantly, I would say build a long-term goal. <laughs> what I mean is don't get comfortable with your paycheck and job. Trust me when I say this, anyone can be easily replaced, right? A sudden situation like COVID can take away everything from you in one single second. Um, I know everyone says this, but it's just so important to like, you know, digest what I'm, what I'm saying. Um, keep, you know, keep, keep self-investing, build your network correctly. Don't get distracted. Uh, you know, what I always do is I, I write down my daily goals. I try to focus more on the process. Um, based on what I aspire to become, um, I, I do know. I do know it's a tough road ahead, um, and that's exactly why. That's exactly why I don't focus on the outcome. You know, so instead of procrastinating, I try and learn from my mistakes. I celebrate my small wins. I just just reflect how much I've achieved, and and I always have a backup plan. I always have a plan B to make my plan A work. Um, and so honestly, Binod. Progress in any form excites me. And that's how I define success. To me, success is progress in any form. So surround yourself with the right circle of people, network early and seek out education beyond the classroom. And tip number three, lastly, build a long-term goal. Very important tips. Uh, I think this has been a long time coming. We have gone over the script of this podcast probably about eight or nine times over the last three, four months. But I'm glad it's come to this. I'm glad we had that journey. I'm glad we reconnected actually after a long while um, and that you reached out to me in the between. And I'm glad, uh, most importantly, that you were able to share this very inspirational, very insightful, transformational journey of yours with the listeners of the Real Finance Mentor podcast because your issues are quite common. Uh, solutions are also there and, and you've gone from you know where you were as, as you mentioned to where you are now which is quite stunning and because i've seen i've personally witnessed your transformation journey it's all the more uh positively uh, uh what you call uh, impactful and i really wish that you continue this journey i wish the best in your career i think you have achieved a remarkable self-awareness because of all what you have experienced well, also because you have that mindset to be self-aware. Not everyone who has experienced a lot uh, are or become self-aware. So that in, I think that is something that you'd carry with you. Thank you once again, Rishma, for spending the time and, and the patience of, uh, of, of describing your interesting journey. And uh, I wish you the, a fantastic career. And I'm sure that the best is yet to come. Thanks so much, Pinod. Really appreciate it. Thanks for giving me the platform. This podcast was brought to you by The Real Finance Mentor. Thank you so much for listening. And I really hope you found it insightful and inspirational. If you did enjoy this episode, please drop us a review and spread the word. And be sure to check out more exclusive content on therealfinancementor.com and my LinkedIn profile, which is Binod Shankar CFA. Let's keep in touch. Just add your name to the mailing list on therealfinancementor.com and we'll tell you about new episodes, plus book reviews, upcoming events and blogs. 
till the next time onwards and upwards